Good morning. At least it's uh, morning when we record this. Um, this is my first time in front of a, a camera audience, so to speak, so we'll see how this goes. I'd like to start by introducing you to my friend Jerry. Um, <clears throat> Jerry is a good friend. Um, he's Canadian, but we won't hold that against him. Um, he, he and I uh, ride motorcycles together and we go exploring out in the, uh, in the desert. Have a lot of fun. We have, uh, uh, we have a lot in common. Um, our conversations usually go to current events and his philosophy of life and, and we've had, we've had some, some good discussions about that. I've been able to share my testimony with him and he knows some of my, my church background. His is that he grew up in a Catholic church and he was an altar boy and he attended Catholic school. And he has hard feelings uh, because of some of that and has, um, for the most part, pursued a spiritualism outside of Christianity. Um, as we discuss subjects, I've been able to share my biblical worldview with him, and a lot of that he agrees with. Um, the morality and um, uh, a, a lot of concepts that originate from the Bible <clears throat> he has adopted, and, uh, and fully agrees with. These things are not unimportant, but as I share with Jerry, I've asked myself, what is really important? All of us would probably agree that there are a lot of things taught in the Bible that are important. Um, today, I would like, to like for us to look at what is most important. As we work our way through this passage, and that is 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see what is important and why. Now, before we start, let me give you a, a brief background on 1 Corinthians. Corinth was um, a city like Panama. It was uh, in the middle of an isthmus. Um, they would transport goods across this four-and-a-half-mile isthmus uh, from one boat uh, onto a wagon onto another boat. And so there was a lot of commerce going on. Uh, people from uh, all over the world would come through Corinth. And, um, and there was a lot of vice going on as well. It was kind of like uh, rolling L.A. and Vegas into one city. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot going on. Oftentimes, when Paul wrote a letter to the churches, he would start off with a theological theme and then later show how that related to the practical areas of life. First Corinthians, he kind of did it differently. Um, there were a lot of problems in the church. Um, and they, were, they had a lot of gifts in the church. They were, they were very blessed in that way. Um, they had questions. Uh, so the way Paul did it was he wove the theological along with the practical all the way through uh, 1 Corinthians. One might say that Paul, to kind of summarize it, one might say that Paul was saying to them, become the people you are. In chapter 15, Paul addresses 
uh, an error that has crept into the church. Um, and some of the people were saying, there is no resurrection of the dead. Uh, so in chapter 15, Paul starts addressing that particular uh, error by going through the theological aspects first. Before we read it, um, I would like for us to pray, and, uh, and then we'll read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 19. So bow with me as we pray. Father, I pray that we would, uh, as we look at Scripture, that you would open our eyes and help us to see the things we need to see this morning. Father, that you would uh, teach us the things that we need to know, to learn, and to apply into our lives. Father, what is really most important and how that, how that fits with the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, be honored by this uh, presentation of uh, your word at the, and that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 9. And I'll be reading out of the New Living, which is maybe a little different than what you have. <clears throat> let, me, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had, had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God, who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would, would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, 
your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more we are to be more we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and it is he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Okay. So what I'd like us to do is to kind of work our way through this. Um, <clears throat> what Paul says is most important. And he talks about the gospel message. Um, the first thing that, um, that I'd like to point out is <clears throat> some translations say um, in, in verse 2, it is this good news that saves you. That's, that's this translation. Or are being saved. It is present tense. It's an ongoing process. Um, <clears throat> our salvation begins at conversion. And it's being worked out in our lives every day uh, as we live, as God molds us and shapes us into the people he wants us to become. And ultimately, it is, our salvation is completed when we meet Jesus and are with him forever. It's an ongoing process beginning at uh, conversion and ending when we, when we go to be with Jesus forever. The gospel, this good news, was embraced by the people who were to make up the church at Corinth. But because some were saying there is no resurrection, Paul was questioning if some might not really have believed the gospel. Now, the thing about the gospel is it is both simple and profound. So simple that it's contained in two verses. So profound that the ramifications of it are in the entire New Testament. When Paul says he received it, <clears throat> some of that happened on the Damascus Road. Um, and, and some of it happened from other sources. When Paul addresses, the, uh, in chapter 11, when Paul addresses the problem of the Lord's Supper and the, um, the way in which it was being abused by the church in Corinth, um, he said, I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. And so um, Paul was always considered himself a direct recipient of um uh, revelation from God. Um, he says that he was uh, born later than the rest of the apostles, but he always asserts that his instruction and revelation came directly from God. He never got it secondhand. Now, um, <clears throat> in verses 3 and 4 is, is, the, uh, is the heart of what is, what is most important and the gospel message. He starts off by saying, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This historical event was predicted centuries before. Um, one of the passages uh, is Isaiah 53. Um, there are a number of other passages as well. Um, Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. He became God in the flesh to pay the penalty for sin. 
There are two aspects we need to consider about this. First off, there is a just God who will one day judge us all. Our sinful acts will require a just God to sentence us to death. There's no getting around that. Only through substitutionary atonement, only through the substitutionary, only through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, will that sentence be transferred. That's the first point. The second point is that Jesus died to save us from the power of sin. Paul repeatedly states how we're no longer slaves to sin, how we're a new creation of God. This is why Paul is somewhat agitated at the, and exasperated at the church in Corinth because they're continuing to do the very sins from which Christ has saved them. He wants them to become the people they are. He goes on to say that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is rooted in historical fact. The facts are made all more believable by appearing to so many people at differing times and places. Skeptics in Corinth would still have been able to check out, to check with the eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. They could verify that themselves just by going and talking to the eyewitnesses. Again, Paul says this is according to the scriptures, predicted centuries before. Exactly what scriptures Paul had in mind, he didn't state. Perhaps it's Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11, or Isaiah 53, verse 10. Later on in verses 8 through 11, Paul goes on to say, he gives a personal reflection on his apostleship. When he says he was born, he was, he was one who was born at the wrong time, literally that he, he, he used the term for abortion. He was, he was born uh, out of due time, probably referring to the, lack, to the fact that he lacked the three years of gestation that the rest of the apostles had traveling around with Jesus and uh, learning from his teaching. Why did Paul say he was the least of the apostles? While the rest of the apostles were spreading the gospel, Paul or Saul was persecuting the church. While the other apostles were building the church up, he was trying to tear it down. All of Paul's successes he attributed to God's grace. And we are no different. We are a product of God's grace. Whatever we have accomplished, whatever we have become, is because of God. There is no such thing as a proud Christian. That's an oxymoron. We can't be proud because God is working in our lives. It's not us doing it, it's God. God's grace needs our response to become effective. Paul responded to God's unusually great grace to him by offering back unusually great service. Paul adds two important things about the gospel at the end of this paragraph. It is the message, it is the same message as the rest of the apostles. What the Corinthians heard was not unique. It was not something that Paul made up or um, 
had uh, given just to them. It was a universal message. Same for everyone, everyone, regardless of who or where you are. And the gospel is preached. The overwhelming way in which the gospel is spread is by proclamation, by it being proclaimed to people. In verses 12 through 9, <clears throat> Paul specifically addresses the error that has crept into the church and was being circulated there at Corinth. It was a common belief among the Greek culture that there was no resurrection of the body. Well, Paul uses logic to show how central the resurrection is to the gospel. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus is not raised. And if Jesus is not raised, then your faith is useless. Paul and the rest of the apostles are liars and there is no deliverance from sin. If there is no resurrection, then the dead have perished. If Jesus has not been raised, Christians are the most pitiful people on earth. If somehow there were a news report to come out in the, across the news with the headlines that a tomb has been found and bones have been found in it, and it was, it has now somehow mysteriously been verified that they are Jesus' bones, Christianity would fail. It all rests on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is all part of the gospel and it is central to the belief of Christianity. You take that out, there is no Christianity. Um, <clears throat> Our hope is beyond the grave, an eternal presence with God. But that doesn't happen unless our sins are atoned for, regardless of how much we desire it. There has to be an atoning of sin. Wanting it don't, won't make it happen. We need the reality of our forgiven sin. Now, why is all this most important? There are several reasons, probably more than I came up with, but... Um, Here's, here's about five that I came up with. Without Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, there is no Christianity. Number two, it is a historical fact, not some mystical experience. When you appear to more than 500 people at one time, it's, it's not an illusion. Everybody sees the same thing. It's, uh, it's real. It's a historical fact. Number three, it solves the problem of God's righteous judgment. There has to be a payment for sin. God cannot overlook that. He cannot set that aside. Part of, of who God is, is he is a righteous judge. And, and being right means that there has to be a payment for our sins. Number four. It is what the Old Testament looked forward to. All of the Old Testament looks forward to the Messiah coming. And Jesus fulfills that in very dramatic ways uh, from passages from the Old Testament. So it's, it's, it's what the Old Testament always talked about, always looked forward to. So it's very biblical. 
And lastly, and, and maybe, maybe this is the point that I want us all to, to kind of take home, it's the foundation of all the other aspects of the Christian life. The gospel is, is what everything else is based on. All of our right living, all of the other um, admonitions to, uh, to live biblically are based in the gospel. When you, when you go through 1 Corinthians, um, there are a number of problems. There was the division of the church. There was casual sex. There were questions about divorce and remarriage. Um, questions about food that had been offered to idols and whether we should eat that and, and how that affects other people who, uh, who might not have that freedom. Um, there were the abuses of the Lord's Supper and some abuses with spiritual gifts and how that all should be used in love. All of these are viewed and acted upon in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that we have been saved, that we are new creations in Christ. We've been delivered from sin through death and resurrection of Christ. Sin no longer controls us. We're a new creation. We need to become the person that we are. And that's Paul's message to the church at Corinth. As for Jerry, I've, I've pretty much decided what I, what I want to say to him the next time we, we are able to uh, get together and go writing again and, and have some discussions is that um, and this he will agree with there is no free lunch no free lunch and, and no way to make a payment for sin outside of the death of Christ and um, without that substitutionary atonement he will have to pay for his sins himself and um it's only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that there is a payment for those sins. And he is responsible for that payment. I hope you, uh, I hope you got something out of this lesson. Um, and I hope you can work on, as I am, becoming the person that we are. Thank you very much.